That's what gives you access to something if you have the keys. And so we've been talking about how uh, there's a way of doing things in the world, and there's a system that we're used to. There's a system that uh, we've become accustomed to, conditioned to do uh, things, uh, you know, different ways. We have a way of getting better. We have a way of making ourselves happy. We have a ways of getting money. But when it comes to the kingdom, uh, a lot of those ways are going to get confronted. A lot of those systems we're going to come head on with, and we're going to find that uh, living in the kingdom of God, uh, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is near you. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven um, is here in your midst. So what he's saying is, is repentance is necessary. Remember, we've looked at that word and that repent, that does not mean just come down to the altar, say a prayer, and walk away saved. Now your life is different. That word repent means to change your thinking. To change the way you think about something, to change the way you process something, change the way uh, that you look at things. And he's saying that because the kingdom of God is way different than the way you're doing it. But the kingdom of God and God's way of doing it is way better than what we could ever do. So he's saying that this repentance, this is the key. This is the first initial step. And so we saw, um, you know, a couple weeks into this thing that to... Do things the way of the kingdom, remains, it means to not do it the way we used to. And that's the hard part. That's the conditioning that we're trying to, to take place in. That's that Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Renew your mind according to the world. Do not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So by changing your thinking, then in turn changes your lifestyle. If we start thinking like the kingdom, then we'll start living like the kingdom. If we start looking at the kingdom's way of dealing with finances, then we will start operating according to the kingdom in our finances. If we look at the way the kingdom approaches healing, uh, then we will start seeing that manifest in our body. Um, So we have to, it's a constant letting go. And here's the thing, is we can at any point always go back to the way we used to do it. No matter how far down the road. So this is, if you have been saved for one day or if you have been saved for a thousand and one days. This is something that's always being worked. This is a perpetual changing of the mind. So let's look at this in Isaiah chapter 53. Tonight I want to talk about the key to healing. The key to healing. The key to health. And um, I believe this is going to help a lot of us. Um, I believe this is going to identify some things. We've ministered on healing before. We've seen what the Word says about healing. But let's take a look at the key to healing because, again, the key is God's way of doing it. We want to find out what is God's way for healing. Look at this in Isaiah 53, verse 3. It says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, Our faces from him, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. He's talking about Jesus Christ. So verse 4, verse 4, this is a prophecy. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, or rejected by God, and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him, 
and by his stripes we are healed. I want to stay right here in verse 5 for a little bit. There's a lot in here. This is a prophecy about Jesus' death. But here's the thing, and, and when we talk about healing, there's a lot to confront because there, uh, the, the, the danger that we have as believers and what has taken place over the course of time in the church is that if we don't see something bring results in our lives, then we find a reason to justify it or find a reason to explain it away. Uh, we just talked about prayer. We just introduced prayer on Sunday, and we said that one of the reasons people don't pray or don't place a high value on or priority on prayer is because of not getting results. Because we're people by nature, if something doesn't work, then we want to do it differently, or we want to do away with it and not do it at all. But that's not the key. The key is to find out how to use it properly, and that's why uh, on Sunday, I began with purpose, and pretty much that entire message was about the purpose of something. Because when we understand the purpose for something, then we understand how to get it to work right. Uh, you got to put the key in the right mechanism. I can't take my key to someone else's vehicle and get it to work. i got to place my key in my vehicle, my key in my house. And so we, ne- we now need to find out how to get the key of healing to work in the kingdom. Now, understand that when Jesus died and through his crucifixion, the number one thing we mostly point to that was given to mankind through that process was what we call salvation. Salvation, being saved from hell and being uh, saved and now being able to die and go to heaven. Okay, that's... The number one thing that takes place. Jesus died for our sins, to take away our sins. But here's the thing. Uh, The Bible over in Romans, I believe it's in chapter 5, it says that the wages of sin is death. So sin pays out in death. So let me ask you this question. If Jesus only took care of our sins in those last few days, then why did he suffer so much? If death in and of itself was the answer, if all he needed to do was die to get man redeemed and saved from their sins, then why did he go through everything else? Because this verse here, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of Uh, For our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, we know that that's particularly talking about when he took the stripes on his back when he was beaten. By his stripes, we are healed. So we need to ask this question because one one of the reasons where we try to justify healing's not for today, or healing's only for some people, or healing's been done away with, or Jesus was the only one that had the power to heal... His disciples and apostles were specifically anointed to heal, but that was it. It's been done away with. And one of the reasons we come up with was Jesus didn't take care of healing. But my question is, is what's all the suffering for? We've got to ask that question. If death in and of itself is the punishment for sin, then why is he going through all that other stuff before he actually dies? 
Let's take a look at a few words here. First of all, that word iniquities, uh, that does mean sin. It also means weaknesses. But here's what that word healed means. That word healed, and by his stripes we are healed. That word healed means to mend or to cure. To mend or to cure. It also means to make whole. It also means to make whole. Now let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. We're going to actually see this one more time. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So now Peter is quoting the verse we just read in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. Isaiah 53, verse 5 was written before Jesus was even on the planet. And now we've got Peter who lived with Jesus and spent much time with Jesus. Now using the same verse, referring back. And he's going past tense now. He's saying, you were healed. And again, that that word healed is that same to mend, to cure, to make whole. Same word in both places. So we have to notice here that Jesus has already provided our healing. How? By the suffering that took place. And specifically the stripes that were on his back. There's been studies, you know, he took 39 stripes on his back. And there's, uh, you know, been statistics out there that there are 39 major diseases in all the world. So he took a stripe for each one. Whatever, I I haven't studied that out. I don't know that. But he took the beatings and the sufferings for our well-being in the planet. You can say this, that he died for our spiritual life to be renewed. But he suffered for our physical life to be renewed. I'll say that again. He he died on the cross. what, What took place in death was for our spiritual life. Creation to be renewed so that we could be made a new creation spiritually. Bible says that spiritually we were dead, but now we have been raised to life with Christ. We physically weren't dead, obviously, but our spirit man was dead. And so now we're able to know that life of salvation. But the sufferings and the beatings and the torture and everything that he went through in those last three days, he did that for our physical restoration. Now, that physical restoration is not just tied to literal physical healing. It covers everything. It covers your mental wholeness. It covers your psychological wholeness. And it covers your spiritual wholeness. And then we know, or it covers your physical wholeness. And then we know that in Jesus' death, the spiritual is taken care of. So we got the whole thing taken care of. This whole thing has already been made available, has already provided, has already been provided. I like the way uh, one uh, minister put it. He says, by whose stripes you were healed. I heard someone say once that before you were sick, you were healed. See, the healing was already made available before you even get sick. Before the sickness tries to come on, 
God's already made a way for that to be taken care of. Okay? So we're going to find out how this healing works because now we know that it's been provided for. I had to lay that foundation that healing has already been provided for. Here's something I want you to, here's a concept I want you to think about. A lot of times when we preach about God and the devil, or we talk about the devil, here's how we think of it. We have this God, and then we have a co-equal and just as powerful devil. And they are bashing it out for our life. They're duking it out, and whichever one of them wins, wins. That's not a true statement. The Bible says that on the cross, Jesus defeated Satan. Whipped him, stripped him of all his power in the earth over us. It's over. It's done. It's not God versus the devil. It's you and whatever you give yourself to. See, a lot of times when, we, when we're praying for healing or we're believing God for healing, we're, we're thinking that God, we're, we're trying to get God stronger than the devil. And if we pray enough, and if we ask enough, and if we believe enough, that God will come out victorious, and the devil will be defeated. He's already been defeated. He can only attack people and beat people where they let him. Period. And that's the authority that we have as a believer. But what does that do? That gives that that puts responsibility on us to now have to stand in that and believe in that. We have to operate in that now. That. I'm not trying to convince God to heal me. <laughs> I'm not trying to, you know, be good enough and do good enough things and pray long enough and, and, and shout loud enough and jump high enough so that he will be urged to, and to move on my behalf. And you know what? He, he's, he's done good. He's done what he needed to do. Let's go ahead and send him to healing. Let's go ahead and rid, that, rid his body of that sickness. That's not the case. It's already been provided for. We've been talking a little bit about God and, and Jesus and how when they finished their work, they went up and rested. They're not working for this thing anymore. We are. We're working this thing. We've been given all authority. We've been given all power to get rid of that in our lives. Now, we're going to talk about the key to healing. What's the key to getting what has already been provided for me manifested in my body? How do I get healing in my body? How do I get to the point where I don't have to go to the doctor? How do I get to the point where I don't have to take medicine? And I know right now this is, you know, blowing our minds. We're thinking, really? Uh, I mean, could I literally go the whole rest of my life without having to take medicine? Naturally? And this, this is a key. To the kingdom that Jesus has given us. He said to the church, I will give you keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. That's our main text. And so we're talking about this key to healing. Now I've been around healing my entire life. Um, I've been around ministers and pastors that have preached it. uh, That have shown it in the Bible. That I know have, have seen it. Evident in their lives. They have testimonies. I've seen it evident in my life. But the key that we're going to talk about is actually very simple. It's going to seem very simple. And it's going to seem uh, 
it's going to seem like that's it, but that's it. Uh, go with me to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Y'all ever seen on uh, Sesame Street where they played that game, one of these things is not like the other? Ever, ever played that game? Okay. We're going to play that game tonight. I think, I think we've got a smart group, a bright group here that's going to be able to pick this out real well. And so I'm very confident that this is going to work tonight. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. You've heard me go to this story. I love this story. It's one of my favorites. And Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. This is a bad state. Any of us been in that position? I mean, sometimes we think we get real sick, but this is pretty bad. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Why? Because that's what he always did. He went and healed people. Or they came to him and he'd lay hands on them or he'd say something to them. But this particular instance, the centurion answers and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great, what? Faith. I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west, sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed. So let it be done for you. And his servant was healed. That same hour. So he wasn't marveled at, uh, at, at, at the, the centurion being excited about meeting Jesus. He wasn't excited about the centurion, uh, you know, saying, come follow me to my house. And, you know, I know that you can lay hands on him. I know that you could, could, could say a word to him. He was excited about his great faith. He said, as you have believed, so let it be, so let it be to you. Now, Matthew chapter 9. Verse 2, a chapter over. Verse 2, then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, another paralyzed guy. And this guy was brought by a group of friends. Now look what happens here. When Jesus saw their what? Faith. He said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. But Jesus knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts, which is easier to you? Say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And the man rose and left. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. Further on down in the same chapter. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he said, when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. 
And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, what? Yes. They didn't say maybe. They didn't say, well, you've done it before. They said, yes, Lord. Verse 29, then he touched their eyes saying, according to your what? Faith. Let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. Jesus sternly warned them saying, see that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they disobeyed what he said. And they went ahead and told everybody in the town about it. Mark chapter 5. Let's go over another book. Mark chapter 5. Now a certain woman, this is verse 25. A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came, up, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I may only touch his clothes, I will be made whole. I will be made well. Verse 29. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? Verse 32. He looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Then he said to her, Daughter, your what? Faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So we've just read four different instances. Four different scenarios where Jesus was moved by someone else's faith. The centurion, he marveled at his faith. He said, I've never seen faith like this, not in all of Israel. The, the blind man, he said when he saw their faith. Or, or in fact, to the blind man, he said, according to your faith. How did he know they have faith? Because he asked them, do you believe I can do this for you? Yes, Lord. Well, you must have faith. So he heals them. Then we move to the paralytic that was brought in by four men. This was the one particularly where they brought him through the roof. They cut a hole in the roof and dropped him down right in front of Jesus. And he saw their faith. Tell me that doesn't show you some kind of faith that you're willing to cut open someone else's roof, drop a paralytic man down on a bed right in front of Jesus in the middle of him preaching. He said he saw their faith. And then we've got the woman with the issue of blood. That she's going out on a limb, man. I mean, she's not even supposed to be in public with this kind of disease. And she's in a throng, a thronging multitude surrounding him. Gets up and it says that when she heard about Jesus, that she said within herself, if I could just touch his clothes. Well, just the very act. Just that very act showed Jesus that she had faith. And he said, daughter, according to your faith. You are made whole. Now let's go over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. Let me give you a little background real quick. Jesus is up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John. And this is the moment of the transfiguration. This is where 
uh, he's up on this mountain. All of a sudden, Moses and Elijah just show up with him, and they're all hanging out up there. And Jesus comes down from the mountain and finds that a man has a son that is demon-possessed and brought him to Jesus' disciples and said, Hey, I mean, you're his followers. You guys should know how to take care of this thing. And they couldn't do it. So now Jesus shows up on the scene. And they asked Jesus, they said, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't this thing happen? In verse 20, he says, so Jesus said to them, (laughs) very simply, I mean, there's nothing to it, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 21, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So one of these things is not like the other. We got four out of five instances here, and healing takes place. And Jesus, every single time, attributes it to faith. Somebody had faith. Faith took place somewhere. Now we get over to one that doesn't happen. This one is not like the others. And what was the answer for it not working? A lack of, for unbelief, a lack of faith. So what do you guys think is the key to healing? Believe it. Faith. Faith. Now, I will do a series at at some point on healing. There's so much to say. Um... There's so much to bring out. There, there, there are so many reasons why I don't believe that we are seeing this take place today. Um, and I'll tell you where it's not taking place is in the United States of America. Because it's happening in Africa. It's happening in India. It's happening in China. It's happening overseas. It's happening in third world countries. You can go down to Haiti, you can go down to Puerto Rico, you can go down to the Dominican, you can go down to the Bahamas. This stuff is taking place like crazy. And there's ministers that go overseas, uh, and and these people will stand out in the pouring rain all day long, stand. They don't even have chairs. They're not even in a roof. They're they're not even under a roof. They're not even inside a air conditioning. These people aren't concerned with any of that. And these ministers are... I mean, you're stacking up wheelchairs, blind people are seeing, uh, uh, deaf people are hearing again, uh, limbs are growing back, dead people are being raised. There's a minister right now that is raising dead people, but not in the United States of America. Not here. It's too comfortable here. I'm telling you right now that where we're at, uh, we want healing for different reasons. And on Sunday, you know, I started with purpose. And, I mean, you could almost start every single message with that. But what's the purpose of healing? Why do we need to be healed? What about, what about those who say that God actually puts sickness and, and disease on people? Anybody heard that before? That God uses sickness and disease 
to teach people a lesson, uh, to help them learn to trust in Him, uh, to show Him their grace and mercy. Let me ask you this. If God put sickness and disease on somebody, then would we be in rebellion to pray for healing? Let me think about it. Let me, let, me, let me rephrase that. If God uses sickness and disease and puts it on somebody to teach them a lesson, I would be in rebellion to pray for healing because God put the sickness on me. So, you see where I'm going with that? Then why would healing... Why would... It, I promise you any of those people are going to go... God, you know, he's just trying to teach me a lesson. You know, he's inflicted me with this cancer. But, you know, I, I believe he'll heal me. Well, why? He's, he's the one who put it there. You would be in rebellion to pray to God to ask him to remove it. And people make so many judgment calls and so many absurd statements about healing. Healing is one of the toughest ones to get over, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because it requires a natural response. It requires a natural result. See, salvation, that's nothing. We have no problem believing it. If someone comes down here and says, you know what, I want to accept Jesus Christ in my heart. I've never done that. I've never been born again. Uh, I want to pray that prayer today. And if I pray that prayer with them and I say, this person, this young man, he has just come into the kingdom of God. We're all shouting, uh, you know, praising God. Thanking God for the work that he's just done. Why? Because we didn't have to see anything change in the natural. That's easy. That's easy to believe. But here's the thing. The same work that Jesus did on the cross for our salvation is the same work he did for healing. Now, you know, people want to say that healing's been done away with. Well... If healing's been done away with, then salvation's been done away with. Because it was all done at the same time. It's one package. It's one group thing. Here's what I'm doing for you. I'm giving you a, a new spiritual life, but I'm also giving you a new physical life. I mean, it's all one package group. It's a package deal. And the, here's another thing. The same faith that got you saved is the same faith that will get you healed. <laughs> we don't have any problem having faith to believe in a God that we cannot see for something that naturally we cannot see. But now when we're looking for natural results, we've got an issue there. Here's another reason why I think uh, it's not happening in today's age like it happened back then. And you've heard me go here before. But it's just, it's alternatives and options. There's just too many alternatives and options. There was a, a minister way back in the early 1900s, late 1800s, that said that I believe with the, with the progression of science that it will become more and more difficult to see signs and wonders take place. Why? I've got so many other things I can run to before... Before I go to God. God is a last resort. When the medicine don't work, when the doctors can't figure it out, when the procedures don't help, now we go to God. It's an attention factor. 
is really what it is. It's an attention factor. How do I know that? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing. And now, I want to stop right there. So then faith comes by hearing. There's a comma. But that right there, in and of itself, is a true statement. All by itself. Faith comes by hearing. And I'm going to tell you this. That does not... That faith comes by hearing works for anything. Faith comes by hearing. Now we know that here he's specifically talking about faith in God comes by hearing the word of God. But you know what? I can develop faith in a medication by hearing about it. And by hearing how it worked for someone else. Or by seeing a commercial on TV. I can develop faith in a doctor by hearing about him. Or by having him tell me how he's going to take care of my situation. Faith comes by hearing. Now he goes on and says, in hearing by the word of God. So what he's saying here is that if you want to develop faith in God, then you need to give attention to God. Faith in God comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So I believe the attention factor is a huge deal. And the word backs me up because the centurion heard about Jesus. The blind man heard about Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood heard about Jesus. They heard about Jesus. There's one man in the Bible. He was a lame man, lame from birth for about 40, I think I said 38 years, almost 40 years. And he's laying at this pool because he had heard that at this particular pool, once a year, an angel comes down, stirs the water. If you can get in the water, you'll be healed. So where is his faith? In the water. In the pool. And the angel coming down and this whole little magical moment taking place. That's where his faith is. And Jesus shows up. Now this guy never heard of Jesus. He's the only one in the Bible to refer to Jesus as sir. The only one. Everyone else called him sir. Or everyone else called him Lord. Everyone else called him teacher. Master. But this guy just says, well, well, sir. Jesus says, what are you doing here? Well, sir, I'm waiting on the angel to come. That's how I'm going to get healed. That's how I'm going to get set free. No faith in Jesus. His faith is somewhere else. He had no faith in Jesus. Did he get healed? Sure did. Because of Jesus' faith. But for himself. Jesus didn't tell him, now according to your faith, he had no faith. He had no faith in Jesus whatsoever, didn't even know who he was. So, the key here is faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Why is this so huge? Because faith 
is the only thing that moves God. Faith is what moves God. That's it. God is not moved by doubt. God's not even moved by your circumstance. God is not even moved. He, he, he sees you get into a, a circumstance and a, a situation that's not good, and He's not moved by that. He's only moved by one thing, and that's faith. Period. Faith is the only thing that moves God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. The priority of faith to God. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who, what? Diligently seek Him. He will reward those who go after Him. God is not moved by complaining. God is not moved by grumbling and griping enough about a situation. God is not moved by uh, uh, your, your, just your circumstance alone. He is only moved by your faith. That is what pleases Him. In fact, God is so moved by faith that if you don't have it, you cannot even please Him. You're not even pleasing to Him. Without faith. So the key to our healing being manifest is faith. Now we just did a series on action heroes and that broke down the three parts. I'm going to break them down for you again, but we're just going to do a quick run through. I'm not going to break it all open. But faith has parts to it. One, faith has a voice. You have to be saying something. You have to be talking. And it better be the word. I heard one minister say that said, uh, if you can't say anything in faith, then don't say anything at all. Because uh, if you say the opposite, then you're doing more damage than just keeping your mouth shut. A lot of times we, uh, we inhibit ourselves. Because we're saying the opposite of what really needs to take place. And so we need to be saying something. Faith has a voice. Faith is talking. Uh, faith has action. Remember we saw over in James. We can't go there. I don't have time. But over in James it said, Faith without works is dead. And that word dead means incomplete. It's not finished. So I can't talk to you about faith if we don't have something taking place that is the opposite of and contrary to your situation. So we got to be doing something that demonstrates faith. We have to be talking and we have to be doing something. There's parts to it. And remember we said that that doing, that action, a lot of times is just simply obeying God. If you're believing God for finances and you have faith for finances, you're believing for a financial breakthrough in your life, and God tells you to give $100 to somebody, and you need 200 Faith's action is obeying God. Obeying His Word. Doing what He's asked you to do. 
simple obedience to his word. So there, we've got to understand those parts because if we just say, if we think that just faith is, is just believing something and thinking something, that's not going to get us over. We've got to be talking it. We've got to be doing it. We've got to be obeying God's word. So we saw there in Matthew chapter 17 that his disciples, let's go back to uh, Matthew 17. His disciples were unable to heal this boy. And in verse 20, Jesus said to them, the reason you couldn't do it was because of your unbelief. And then look what the, the next thing he says. I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, that's a very, t- that's a very small seed. That's not a lot. So basically, he's telling the disciples a little bit of a a cut down here. And he's saying, you didn't even have that much. (laughs) He's saying, you had unbelief. You were in the exact opposite of faith. You didn't even have a a small amount to begin with. Because of your unbelief. Now, look what he says in verse 21. This is interesting. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. What is he saying here? He's saying that every time that we come down with a sickness or if we're we're believing God for a miracle, that we need to pray and, and fast. What he's pointing at is time spent with the Father. Giving attention to God. See, and you heard me say this on Sunday, that Jesus would spend hours in prayer. Hours. I mean, he'd get up early. There were times he'd be up all night. He'd find, he's finding solitary places. He was always in communication with his Father, establishing and building that relationship with his Father. And then he went on down to say that he does nothing on his own initiative. Everything he does uh, is his Father's will. Uh, I don't do anything on my own accord. I only do what my Father tells me to do. I only obey Him. That means that Jesus never laid hands on anybody that God told Him not to. Or that never that, that means that Jesus never got up and said, You know what? I had a good time healing people yesterday. I'm going to go out and do that again. That's not what moved Him. The only thing that moved Him was His Father. But notice how much time he spent in prayer versus how much time he spent with the issues of life. And so he's telling his disciples, if you would find yourself giving more attention to God, you'll find yourself spending less time with problems. That's why his disciples in Matthew chapter 6 said, teach us. How to pray. They didn't say teach us how to lay hands on the sick. They didn't say teach us how to raise the dead. They didn't say teach us how to cast out demons. They didn't say teach us how to do that, you know, storm calming thing you did the other day. John didn't say, you know what, I got a couple fig trees I'm not real happy about. Can you teach me how to burn those things up? No, they said teach us how to pray. They realized Look, Jesus is spending hours with God. I mean, there's one passage over in Matthew where he faces uh, the demon-possessed man, the the demon-possessed man with legion. 
And it's a whole section. It's probably about six or seven verses long, if longer than that. And in that whole passage, there's one word in red. That means Jesus spoke. One word. And it's the word go. That means he just came into contact with a man that has a legion of demons. A legion uh, was anywhere, uh, was a Roman army term, a military term, that meant anywhere from 4,000 to 6,000. Inside of one man, there was upwards of 6,000 demons in one man. Jesus comes into contact with this guy, and the whole passage, the only time he spoke was to say, Go. And here we are casting things out and spending hours of prayer and, and spending, spending you know, so much time with this and so much time with that. We've got all these problems. That's all we think about is the problems. And Jesus' disciples realize we need to spend more time with the Father. And we won't be spending as much time with these other issues. It won't be that much work casting out demons. It won't be that much work trying to get people healed. It won't be that much work to to see these manifestations take place. Because we're spending time with the Father, and thank God they got it. Because over in the book of Acts, we see many times where the disciples were doing the same exact thing. But you know what they were doing behind that? They were in the upper room spending time with God. They were gathering in one accord and in one place, praising and thanking God and and worshiping God in prayer. I mean, you got Paul and Silas who've just been beaten, thrown in jail, and chained up. And they're praising and thanking God in the middle of the night. They realize, you know what? Yeah, I don't like this situation at all. And this kind of stinks being here. But you know what? If I just give more attention to God, I think the, we'll, the problems will take care of themselves. We'll find God who will actually work on our behalf. They learned something. And so this is the issue. A lot of us, we know more about our doctors and our medicines than we do about God. We know exactly how many pills to take of this and exactly how long it'll take to work and how many times a day I can take it and what exact symptoms it'll work for. We know a lot about our doctors. We know his history and his background, what he's treated other people on, uh, when, when I know, I know when I need to call him. But then when it comes to God, we don't know a whole lot. And that's because of the attention factor. Because we've put attention somewhere else. Could we get to the point where we never have to run to that? Sure. But it's going to take a lot of building up in this. Of only relying on this. Uh, Kenneth E. Hagen, uh, he was healed at the age of, he was born. Uh, in fact, they were digging a hole to bury his premature body in because he was so lifeless. And then he, at one, at the last second, showed some life. And so they held on to him. And all through his life, he battled a deformed heart issue. And at the age of 16, it finally broke down. And they're just, He's sitting on his deathbed, paralyzed. He can't even move. And so all he's doing is just reading his scriptures. That's all he's doing. And he came across Mark chapter 11. Let's go there real quick. I didn't have it in there. 
But let's, let's put that up there. Mark chapter 11. Kenneth E. Hagin is laying on his deathbed, 16 years old, being, you know, nothing they can do for him. Doctors have no hope. And so he's just reading the Bible. He's just a little, just a little boy that knows at least, you know what? I'm just going to read the Bible. And so he came across Mark chapter 11, verse 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And so, Kenneth E. Hagin's reading this scripture, he says, you know what? He tells God, God, if you tell me that I don't believe you, I'd have to call you a liar. I believe you can heal me. And God's response was, you do believe, as far as you know. What's he saying? There's some more you need to learn. Is God wanting to heal him? Of course. Well, what do we say on Sunday? God is only moved by what we do. He, there's no way he can violate that word. So there's some things we need to get control of. And so he found, man, well, you know what? I'm just going to have to learn some more. I'm going to have to find out why healing is. Why do we need to be healed? What is that all about? Why is that so important? How has my healing been obtained? How has it been provided for? How do I get it? What do I need to do? And he came off of that sick bed, and for the rest of his life, he never even had as much as a, as a headache. I remember we were in class, and uh, he was teaching, and, and he said there was one time he was driving off the campus. I don't know, he probably said back in the 70s or something. And a headache tried to come, and he stopped immediately and says, Nope. In the name of Jesus, that headache has no right to be in my body that left. <laughs> he didn't run to Advil. Didn't run to Tylenol. Didn't run to get a prescription. Didn't go lay down and try to sleep it off. That's it. Could we be? But this was a guy that was disciplined. Man, this was a guy. I remember there was one time uh, he was uh, he was saying, you know, he, he pastored churches, but... Uh, he was also working at this one drugstore. And while he worked there, he used to always get, they used to have those soda fountains back in the day. We're talking the 30s, the 40s. And he'd always get uh, a Coke every day. And there was one day he was walking by, and just by walking by the store, he his mouth started to water for a Coke. And he stopped and he said, I'll never have one another day in my life. He said, there's, there's no natural thing that will control my body that much. Now, we're talking discipline. And he said he never did because of that one instance. That's some strict stuff. Is he in sin because he drinks a Coke? No. But he just realized, my body's not going to dictate what I do. Nothing, no natural thing will dictate my next action. Only God. And so he got to that point, and, and healing was nothing. For him, for someone that almost died. And so what did it take? It take getting in God's word. I mean, he was in a position on your deathbed, there ain't much you're doing. Can't move. 
You know, and he tells the story, you know, the time, well, then he, he finally got up, you know, enough faith and said, you know what, this day's going to be. And so he got out, and and, and uh, his, his legs, he got out of bed, and his legs just hit the ground like 10-pound weights, he said. And, and he said that as soon as they hit the ground, he, it felt like a thousand needles were just piercing his skin in his legs. But he said that he just started laughing. Because that was the first time he had felt feeling in his legs in a year and a half. And then from there, he's healed. Died at the age of 86 in 2003. Lived his whole life. One of, the, one of the greatest men of faith ever known on the face of this planet. And so, these things have to take place in our life. That healing doesn't come just because we ask about it enough. It doesn't come because we pray about it long enough. It doesn't come because... We uh, uh, are, you know, are in a bad enough spot that God finally decides to, to get in on this thing. We're not trying to convince him. We're trying to learn about him. We're trying to get uh, more attention on his word. How do we get to the point where we don't run to something else, but we run to God when we give attention to him? I'm going to tell you why those miracles happen in those crusades overseas. It's because those people come with an expectation. There's something about expectation. We don't expect a whole lot. And, and here in America, the reason why we don't expect too much is because we hate getting let down. We hate being let down. We hate failure. We hate something not working out. We hate things not working. And so the first thing we run to is what worked before. Well, I had this headache last time and this worked. But we have to build faith. The Bible talks about exercising your faith. And to build faith in God does mean you have to shut other things out. And we already said, there is a key to the kingdom. The key to the kingdom does not work in the world. And the key in the world doesn't work in the kingdom. So we have to build that faith. It's going to be real hard to believe God to heal us of cancer if we've never believed Him to heal us of a headache. Or the flu. I remember uh, one pastor said about finances, you're going to have a hard time believing God for $1,000 if you never believed Him for $10. be hard to believe God for a vehicle if you never believed God for a pair of socks. We have to build faith in God. And believing it and thinking it doesn't work, we have to speak it. We have to act on it. We have to be obedient to His Word. Now here's the thing I want to get to is why is healing so important? Why is it so, why is it pushed so much in the Bible? You realize how much of the Bible we'd have to throw out to say that healing is not for today? You realize how much of the Bible we would have to negate or just really strongly twist to, to, to say that healing is not for today, that we're not supposed to be healed? Here is why healing is so important. And it goes back to the kingdom. I told you before, it always goes back to the kingdom. Everything I preach for the rest of my life is in the kingdom. The kingdom is not in it. It is in the kingdom. The reason why healing is so important for us today, if you remember that all authority has been given to man in the earth. It's been given to you and I. 
Adam and Eve lost that dominion. They gave it up, forfeited it. But then Jesus came back and restored the kingdom and placed us back in that position with God. God sees you like he saw Adam in the beginning. God sees us the way he saw Adam. Full dominion, full authority. That's what Jesus restored to us. Now, if we are sick, how are we getting anything done in the earth? Sick people don't help anybody. Hurt people don't help anybody. People with issues that are only looking inward and trying to take care of themselves can't help anybody else. But the last time I checked, we're in this earth to help the world bring heaven to earth. We're not here to just take care of ourselves. See, healing is not just so you can feel better. Healing is not just so you don't have to pay so many doctor's bills. Healing is not so you can stop having to buy this crazy prescription that costs so much money. That's not what healing is for. Healing is so that you can get restored to a place where you can now go and influence others. I've never seen a sick person be able to help somebody else. I've never seen someone, look, that's why they have sick days at work. But see, your job is your area of influence. So if you have to take a sick day and you can't go to work, guess what? You're not able to influence the people that you've been assigned to. See, a job now, and we'll get to that. There's so much, man. But your job is not just so you can put food on the table and pay the bills and keep a roof over your head. A job is your assignment to influence people in the earth. So now you don't wake up every morning to make a paycheck. You wake up in the morning to go influence someone for the kingdom of God. So all your employees and your employers and your coworkers and your vendors and your customers, the people that you come into contact with on a day-to-day basis are now the people you are to influence. Well, guess what? If you have to take a sick day and you're laying up in the bed sick and just trying to take care of yourself, All those people are not being influenced that day for the kingdom of God. So, this is why healing is so important. Healing is important because God needs your body. Remember, the only people that have access in the earth, the only ones that have legal right to operate or do anything in the earth, is a spirit being Inside a flesh suit. So if your flesh suit is going down, you've just taken away your spirit's influence. See, this is the vehicle. This is the vehicle that lets us operate in the earth. Our spirit people. Our spirit bodies. Our spirit man on the inside. My vehicle out there, it lets me operate and get around. If my vehicle goes down, then I can't get around as easily. I'm hindered. I'm crippled. Well, it's the same thing with our flesh. 
Look, your flesh is just as important to you as your spirit. You know why? Because your spirit's not here if your flesh isn't. And if your flesh dies, then your spirit has to leave. And you no longer have any influence. You're no longer able to do kingdom work. See, our kingdom work isn't in heaven. There's nothing you need to do. There's nothing God needs us to do in heaven. Jesus doesn't need our help building mansions. Well, God needed another angel in his choir. We've heard that one. No, he doesn't. He's got plenty of angels in that choir. (laughs) There's plenty of them. And I'll tell you right now, if you think that you're just going to leave this earth one day and just go up there and just sing, I'll tell you right now, God doesn't want us singing. He's got angels that he's given that specific. He don't want me singing. I'll tell you right now. God don't want me going up there and messing up that choir. I wouldn't, soprano, baritone, I wouldn't even be able to get in there, man. God wouldn't even know where to put me. He'd just have to, you just sit over here and watch. You don't, you don't need to worry about this choir. He don't need any more angels in his choir. He needs you in the earth to influence people for the kingdom of God. He needs you giving him permission to operate here. Through you. God is a spirit. He's not coming down here and doing anything without using us. So now all of a sudden, getting this flesh thing going, now all of a sudden that's an important deal. Look, God wanted to keep us here for a long time. First off, Adam and Eve were supposed to never die. Then they sinned. But have you ever noticed how long those people lived at the beginning of the Bible? Dude, you got one guy named Methuselah, 969 years old. (laughs) Nine generations. We hardly have people making it to 69. 969. Noah died over 900 years. Adam died over 900 years. His kids living a long time on the earth. I mean, Abraham was having a baby at 100 But God never expected us or never wanted us to check out. The reason why he had to shorten that thing down is because sin just got too crazy. And he said, man, the longer they live, the more they sin. The longer they live, the harder they sin. So let's just break this thing down to 120 years. He's given us 120 years. And he hasn't gone back on that at all. You have 120 years. Does anyone in this room expect to live to be 120 years old? We got one. You should. 120 years. I'll be 30 next year. That means I'm a quarter of the way there. I'm only a fourth. I'm not even a fourth through my life yet. And we get to, I mean, I think life expectancy now is around 80 maybe. And I think it's going to be dropping. Not very many people make it past 70s. Just think, 80 and you still got another quarter of your life left. You got another 40 years at 80. This is serious stuff. Because our flesh is what keeps us in the earth doing our job. And until your assignment is up, there's no reason for you to leave. And there are people that are leaving the earth before their assigned time. 
Now look, we've all got people close to us that have died and that have gone on. I got a brother, he died when he was 24 years old. Not even a quarter through his life. That's rough stuff, man. I mean, I was, I'm, I was 25 when it happened. I mean, you're only talking, we're 14 months apart. And so, you're just, you're, you're thinking, man, there's so much left. So much time at 24, and we think that. But at 80, still got a lot of time. But the thing that leaves, see, we, what we don't understand is we, we, we get attached to the person, but there's an assignment that's gone now. And I remember I did his funeral, and I told everybody in that room, I said, we now have to pick up his assignment because there was an assignment attached to his life that's gone now, and we have to pick that up. I'm not, I'm not just working for myself anymore. I'm now working for me and my brother. i got to make up his part. I mean, it's the same way when you, when you take a sick day from work. Someone else is picking up your part. Or the job, don't get done. the job doesn't get done. There's an assignment on our lives. And this is a whole other part. But I want to talk about the purpose of healing. Because then you'll want to use the key. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the purpose of provision in finance, and that was to be a blessing to others. Not just so we can rake it in for ourselves and drive the biggest cars and have the nicest boats and the biggest homes. That's not why. It's to be a ble- It's to be able to move on a dime to meet someone else's need and not have to look in the bank and say, well, is that there? God says, you need to bless that person. Okay. I'll do it right now. That's why provision's there. Well, this is why healing's there. It's because there's an assignment attached to our lives. Genesis chapter 126, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. We're the ones binding. We're the ones loosing. And if you're not on the earth to do it, then the job's not getting done. The assignment goes out. And so why do we need to get... Sickness and disease. Why, why should we not put up with that? Because that is stuff that hinders us from getting our assignment done. That's stuff that gets in the way and keeps us from getting the job done that we've been put here for. I can't go to work and influence people. I can't walk through Walmart and, 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 and just look to see and be obedient to who God wants. You know this. When you're sick, the only thing you're thinking about is getting better. What's the right food I need to eat? What's the right medicine I need to take? What's the right amount of time I need to sleep? What are the things I need to stay away from? And so that sickness and disease, it puts everything inward. It puts everything on the inside. It only keeps us looking at us, and it doesn't keep us looking outward, and we're affecting and helping nobody. So we need to know the key to healing. James chapter 5, we'll close with this. James chapter 5, verse 14. You know what people are saying when when they say that when they say that they can't be healed or they think that we have to do something to convince God to heal us? We're not convincing God to heal us. We can tell you right now. But you know what people are saying? They're saying that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't good enough. understand. All the suffering he went through. I mean, I'd, I'd have those people go read 
Go read the Bible. Go read Matthew chapter 26 and 27. Go read all the suffering and the beating and the torment and the torture he went through before he died. And you tell me he didn't do enough. James chapter 5 verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Why? Because prayer is what moves God to work on our behalf. And look what verse 15 says. And the prayer of what? Doubt and unbelief? The prayer of complaining? The prayer of convincing? The prayer of begging? The prayer of hoping? The prayer of wishing? No, it says the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. That word save is actually the word heal. Or means to heal. If you're sick in your mind, if you're sick in your body, if you're sick uh, mentally, if you're sick emotionally, the healing is there. Whatever in your natural life, see, what on earth, what good does it do for God to do something for your spirit, man, and do nothing for your flesh? Tell me what good that does. If he's only done something for my spirit, then I might as well just go on and die. If he's made no room for my body to subject sickness and to do away with disease and do away with illness, then why am I even here? Why am I here trying to influence people for the kingdom and having to fight my own personal vehicle that gets me there? You all know when your vehicle is breaking down, you go get it checked out or you go get a new one. Nobody wants to fight with that. It's not going to be doing a very good job if every time you get in your vehicle, it takes you 30 minutes to start it. I mean, just last week I was having a battery that was going bad and I had to jump it every time I wanted to start it. Well, I put up with that for about two days and then I went down to Walmart and got me a new battery. Why? I'm not going to deal with that. Nobody wants to jump their car every time they have to get up and go somewhere. It's not made to work that way. So if God only redeems my spirit and does nothing for my flesh, then why am I even here? Just to fight with my flesh? That's literally what people think. That's what you would have to think if you don't think that God can heal or if you don't think that healing's for today, or if you don't think that you have any authority over sickness and disease, if you don't think that, then the conclusion for my life is that I'm just this spirit being housed in this stupid body that doesn't even work right in the first place, and I'm just stuck with it. I have to put up with this until this thing finally shuts down and dies and I can get out of here. What other conclusion do we have in life? That sounds pretty pathetic and hopeless, and there's not a lot of... There's nothing to live for. Well, I'm here to praise God through the storm. He gave you authority over the storm. When Jesus' disciples went down and got Jesus and said, Hey, we're about to die. Here's the storm. Jesus didn't get out on the boat and say, Oh, God, we thank you that even though the storms rise around us, you, your grace and mercy is upon us and we're going to make it to the other side. 
one day. Is that what he did? No, he said, calm, be still. And then he looked at his disciples and said, you little weaklings of faith. I was sleeping and you woke me up. That's the Jesus that's in the Bible. And if Jesus did all that stuff and then didn't give us the ability to do it, I'd be kind of angry. Because he just rubbed it in my face. He just said, look what I can do. <laughs> I saw someone put on uh, you know, Twitter the other day or something. They, they said, uh, anything you can do, Jesus can do better. what Jesus said. John chapter 14, Jesus was saying, anything I can do, you can do better. John 14, 12 says, if you will believe in me, the things I have done, the works I have done, the miracles I have done, the signs I have done, you will do also and even greater works. So it sounds to me that Jesus is saying, anything I can do, you can do, and better. What's better than raising the dead? Let me put it this way. What's better than one man raising the dead? Two. What's better than one man healing the sick? Two. What's better than one man calming storms? Two. No, they wouldn't be greater in how they did it, in quality, in what took place. They would be greater because it would be all over the place. See, Jesus took his power that was on his life and then placed it in you, and you, and you, and you, and me, and all other believers, he said, anyone that will believe, you have this power. So instead of just one man walking around town and laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover and raising the dead and casting out demons, now we've got a whole bunch of them. You know what was better than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Acts. Because now we got Peter doing it and John doing it and James doing it and Paul doing it and Silas doing it and Luke doing it. And Philip doing it. And Stephen doing it. Now we've got all these people multiplying, exponentially multiplying, what Jesus did by himself. You know what was greater than Jesus doing miracles? was Matthew chapter 10 when he sent out the 70 and said, Alright, now everything that I have been empowered to do, you go and do. Now we got 70 people doing what one man was doing. Sounds like we're getting the job done a lot quicker. Sounds like we're, we're really making some influence and progress in the earth with the kingdom of God. So this is why healing is so important. That is the key to healing. It's simply faith. Your level of healing will be the, dependent on your level of faith. And how do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Giving attention to it. Giving attention to it. I take my son to the doctor that he sees because I gave attention to her. I heard what other people had to say about her. 
I read about her. I checked on her, checked her up. I didn't just open a book and go down the line and just pick one. Oh, we were calling people. Lisa, we called you. Where should we take them? We talked with people that lived here before. What helped me build some faith? I had to give attention to it. So we need to be build faith in God's word because when that sickness and disease tries to come against your body, you can remind God, hey, I'm here doing your work. You need me. So let's get this thing fixed. Let's, let's fix this thing. And you know what? We're not praying a whole lot. Jesus didn't. You won't even see Jesus praying over sick people. He just laid hands on them and they recovered. Or he said, go. Or he said, be healed. Or he said, according to you, it is so. I mean, that's all he did. He wasn't struggling. Now I heard one minister say, you pray once and then you praise and thank God after that. You don't keep praying and praying and praying and asking and requesting and begging. God, why won't you hear me? God, I ask you to heal me. God, I ask you to heal me again. God, I ask you to heal me a third time. The Mark 11 said, when you pray, believe. You receive, and then you will have it. So you pray once, and then we praise God and thank Him for it after that. Well, the natural symptoms are still here. Yeah, but I already asked God. I already prayed, and I believe that I received when I prayed. So that means I've already got it, and now I just need to take manifest and show up in my natural body. So, Father, I thank you for the healing that's already mine. I don't pray, I don't pray and ask God for things more than once. If it's bills, if it's finances, if it's healing, I don't ask Him more than once. Just like when I ask my wife for something and she gives it to me, I don't go back and say, hey, can you give me that thing? What is she going to say? I already gave it to you. See, you received the healing when you prayed. So now 